Welcome to Training Room Talk, where we discuss all things performance, rehab, and education. Welcome back to Training Room Talk. This is Nick Perugini, joined today with Dr. John Herding. Hey, guys. His student, Alex Stewart. How are you? Dr. Ray Carr. How's everyone doing today? And Coach Rob Rabina. What's up? Coach. Today we are talking about staying in your lane. As we begin here, I have a, I have a quick story about um, something I observed a few months ago at a weightlifting competition. I was warming up to uh, on a platform uh, in, in the back of the weightlifting gym. And I witnessed a strength coach. He was prepping his, his athlete before the competition. Um, they were getting warmed up, so kind of stretching him out a little bit. And then he was warming up with an empty barbell in the middle of a set. The weightlifting coach goes over to his athlete, uh, sits him down on a chair on the platform, grabs his neck, and performed a manipulation to his cervical spine. Nick, did this coach have any clinical background to your knowledge? No, he does not. Um, he does not have a clinical background. He's a strength and conditioning coach, has a CSCS, USAW. Um, so to me, it was extremely alarming because you know we we've spent you know years of school to to be able to grab a or obtain a license uh, to also be able to you know assess a joint understand if it's hyper hypomobile uh, understand what uh, end range is learn contraindications and precautions to perform such interventions as you know as a manipulation Um, so to be able to see you know a coach perform this this movement this intervention uh, that only skilled clinicians are, are trained to be able to do was a little bit alarming but you know what it what it spurred me to do actually was to provide a, uh, an educational series on what are some concepts that we that we should be doing as as strength coaches to warm up and, and to prepare for movement, to prepare for physical activity, to prepare for for exercise, um, and you know ultimately again it it was just one one of those things where I felt like I had to do something because I just couldn't live with myself you know seeing this happen and having the coach think you know it was normal to be able to do this type of thing uh, for their athlete. And, you know, I'm, I'm sure, I'm actually I'm 110% positive, he thought he was doing the right thing. He, he thought he was helping his athlete, you know, prepare as much as possible, you know, for, for this event. So when it comes down to it, it's really important that we, as coaches or as physical therapists or wherever you are, as a physician, um, you understand what your scope of practice entails. And understand, you know, what you need to be doing from a, a legal standpoint, um, as much as an ethical and performance-based uh, standpoint. Um, so yeah, I just want to share that story about, you know, how important it is to understand what understand what your scope of practice entails. So you're you're giving the best that you can to your athlete, but also understanding legal consequences of these actions. Yeah, I mean, I think as um, new professions are created, I think there's um, 
there's a there's a ton of blending and gray area in a lot of professions, whether it's athletic training and physical therapy, or physical therapy, athletic training, and strength and conditioning, personal training. Um, I think there's a lot of gray areas in these um, these professions, especially as massage our strength coaches and personal trainers start to get massage therapy licenses. Um, really understanding where the difference lies um, should separate the professions and. You really have to like what if something bad would have happened to that coach in the legal realm he was or if something bad would have happened to his athlete with the manipulation in the legal realm that coach was would have been extremely liable because he doesn't have the proper licenses um to be able to perform that manipulation right right um so i think you have to start to look at distinguishing factors um athletic trainers have on-field emergency care management physical therapists don't um, strength coaches and personal trainers, um, with that alone, um, do not have the license to manipulate people and manipulate soft tissue. They might be able to stretch someone, put their hands on someone to stretch, but they can't manipulate soft tissue with regards to massage and, and those certain techniques and manipulating bones, right? Um, you know, even as the line is blurred, you know, further blurred as strength coaches get massage therapy licenses. Um, sure, you can provide strength and conditioning, but you can't, uh, you still can't, um, and you can touch people, but you still can't diagnose pain because that's what separates physical therapists and massage therapists or physical therapists and strength coaches. We, we have the ability to diagnose pain. Um, but then the line's even further blurred because strength coaches train people in pain all the time. Um, and a lot of them do it appropriately, which actually leads to people getting out of pain. But um, it would probably, and Rob, I'd love your opinion, but would it fall outside of a scope of your scope of practice if someone came to you in pain and you said, oh, well, that's probably impingement. I can train you out of that. Um, I'll take care of that. You don't need to see anybody else. Yeah, I mean, I agree. Definitely big gray area um, with all of these topics that we've been discussing so far. You know, I first think that the big factor for me is, is is pain. Like, if someone's in pain, to me, that's a that's a that's a sign that like they need to see a physical therapist. Um, you know, if they just have movement issues where they have faulty mechanics, or you know, they're not controlling themselves in space, and you know, their their faulty mechanics or positions or or uh, you know, quickly changed to improve function that's something that we can do but if it's like someone's in pain they're having lots of issues and you know whatever it is elbow pain knee pain back pain you know yeah we're not we're not uh you know strength coaches and trainers are not fixing that or treating that or diagnosing any of that um and that's where you just refer out and you know that's why it's good and again you probably have heard me say this i don't know a lot but always good to have a good network around you and good therapists that you can work with and and refer to because you do have to stay in you know not to steal uh what's his name's line uh god lavar ball right stay stay in your lane <laughs> right um no, i had but forgotten about him i appreciate sure, that Rob. Sure that's thanks him. stay you know stay stay in your lane um yeah so i i think you know pain someone's in pain refer out if they just like can't move well and you know, looking to improve fitness goals, you know, performance goals, that that's where that's where we can step in. You know, likewise, you know, from a, a, a baseball skill side, you know, we see that all the time where like baseball coaches try to 
or really any any skill coach, basketball coach, they try to step in and do the conditioning, or they try to step in and you know do the workout for the day, you know, or you know, hey, I'm going to have guys run, you know, staircases for an hour. What? How is that going to help them get better at their sport? So you know, having that's where having a good idea of you know what what the baseball coach does well, what the strength coach does well, what the physical therapist does well, what the athletic trainer does well. And then all be on the same page when working together, you're going to get optimal results. And to me, that's – I don't see why any client would not want optimal results if everyone is doing what they're supposed to be doing to help someone. But, Rob, when you refer out, you lose money. Uh, no. Because no. I know that's how that's some trainers look at it, right? <laughs> They'll say, well, if I refer out, then that's yeah. not money that's coming in my pocket because I'm sending them somewhere else. Um, I would disagree with that too. Definitely. Um, because the the patient that you refer out, Rob, is still always coming back to you yep. because they're going to appreciate that you got yep. them the help that they need. 100%. Right? 100%. Um, and you, so you're still the go-to guy. Yep. Right? Um, especially if we provide a good service that they're like, oh, Rob sent me to these guys. These guys are great. Like, mm-hmm. I really – I love Rob. Like, mm-hmm. they'll always come back. Right. Right? They're, they're thankful for that referral. And for that reason, as physical therapists, there are times when we'll refer to another therapist or a chiropractor that has – I mean – we try to be very good at everything that we do and provide a lot, but there's definitely times where we'll have um, another therapist will refer to us or we'll refer to another therapist because they have the skills that will get a person better more quickly um, than we may be able to. And I think um, dropping your ego, leaving it at the door, and, and putting the patient first, will um, you'll create raving fans that always come back. So the argument that um, you're losing money. Yes, maybe temporarily you're losing a session or two over a, a, you know, some time, a time frame, but that could turn into many, many more sessions and many, many more referrals because you help the person get better. So you have to think long, the long term and you have to think the patient first always um, and kind of use that as your guide. Now, I think that's a huge topic right there, staying in your lane even when it is technically in your lane, right? Like as a physical therapist, yeah, sure, we can treat everybody or get them out of, out of pain, uh, but if we have a patient who maybe we're not as comfortable with or we think that somebody down the road can help treat or get them to a better spot, I mean, still, stay in your lane, stay at what you're good at, stay at what you're comfortable with, and refer out when necessary, and everything else will kind of come full circle when it comes to money or referral-wise. And I think, I think referring out is usually a win-win. I mean, you know, let's say you refer to someone and – they uh, and they determine that they, this person actually needs to be helped and, and, and needs better care, them being able to get that care that they need is really important. That makes you look really good. You know, on, on the other side of it, if, if you refer someone out and they go somewhere and they don't need much, they, they determine that um, this is within the scope of practice for a coach, then awesome, great. We don't need care, but it just showed that you're looking out for your client or your or your athlete and that's something that your your client's always going to going to value it's going to show that you have the best interest for them so again referring out i think is a win win uh, no matter what goes on nick did you ever did you actually have a conversation like, no i did not no no no, no. um yeah, you know, it was like right before a competition, yeah, 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 and yeah. just saw it happen. I was like, "Wow, I'm gonna, I'm gonna revisit that after today." And now, uh, did you make your lift after that? I did. That's I good. All, I made all my lifts. Did I it made. inspire you, or did it? I was fired up. Yeah. I was really, I was really, uh, I was really fired up. And again, it's just, you know, I just thought that we could do better 
you know and uh because again i think to us it's it's like pretty common sense that that's just insane yeah right just it it bothers me um just from the standpoint that i mean i've only been adjusting next for a year and a half two years i just feel like there's i know so many pts that aren't comfortable doing it right um and even if a strength coach somehow becomes comfortable doing that sure um I just don't – I don't know if that's the setting, number one. Well, that's what it was. I mean, that's – for me, more than anything, it was just this what guy is, is almost mid-lift, right? Yeah. And you're now – you're creating an instability yeah, like what's your before a lift in the neck. Well, and I'm thinking that's not the first time. And that's definitely not the first time. It's definitely not the last. And here – and the, the scary that's thing – the scary thing was is just overheard in conversation. I heard that this was their first time working together at a meet. Um, See, that's where, like, I think – so I was going to say, like, if they have that skill, great. But, like, to me, it's just as important as understanding why you're yeah, doing exactly. it. Yeah, exactly. That's what it is, yeah. Because, I mean, you know, you never know. I mean, next, I mean, that's you got to tread carefully, I think, sometimes. You know, like, someone has acute pain, you know, you got to manipulate that neck. I think, like, you just have to know that background. You have to know contraindications. All that, yeah. You know. That's, I mean, that's, you know, that's why it's a skill, you know, given by a licensed professional. You know, what, what I'll say is also while we're on this note about just understanding that, you know, it goes both ways where, you know, a PT working with a client who is in pain, who is, is you know, ha- is getting coaching, it's really important that, you know, we are also communicating with that coach and, and making sure that what we're giving someone, you know, can fit into a training program if need be. Uh, and everything that has been said on today's show so far, it all goes back to having a strong team. Right, and communicating and having people that are better than you at a certain skill or certain area is what, you know, is quality service-based care. You know, taking the ego out of the equation and, and recognizing that, you know, th- uh, someone else in this person's life is better at what uh, better at something than you and being able to communicate with that person so this, per- this client can get the best of, of all areas of their life. But where do you think that conversation starts when you see something like that? Like, how do you demonstrate to somebody that you can show value in what you do or where they may be lacking and try and build that relationship so you can, like, further benefit, like, a patient's totality of care? You know what I mean? Like, how do you approach somebody in that situation and have that conversation? Yeah, I mean, reaching out, reaching out to, you know, someone's coach is something that we do all the time here, right, whether it be, you know, CrossFit or baseball or strength conditioning. You know, and being able to respectfully say – what we have found in an evaluation um, is obviously really important, and and to be able to also acknowledge some of the really positive things that that coach may be having them do in a program, and let them let them know that we understand what it what it, exactly it is that they're doing, and that that we respect that. But here are some things that can supplement uh, their program. Again, keeping it all about the the client, keeping it all about the athlete first. Um, but again, not saying that you're wrong or that you can do this better, but also saying, hey, here are some things that can help, right? Help your program, help your outcomes, help your results, and guess what? Also help the client. And I think it becomes a learning experience for all the professionals. Like I've learned from coaches why they're programming certain things, and they've learned from me why I program certain things, and it's made everybody's program better to some degree. Um, and. Um, to develop that understanding of, of how every professional works and then how we can work together, putting the patient first, I think is huge. And that's where a lot of clinicians miss the boat 
um, to be honest, like they don't have those conversations and whether it's they don't feel comfortable using the same language or they don't have the connections, I think that's part of being a good clinician. Um, I also think staying in your lane, if you're a clinician and, uh, you know, maybe a physical therapist, um, make sure you're referring out to physicians too. Um, you know, there's been a couple periods in, in um, a couple instances where we had someone that presented like a disc herniation but didn't respond to the therapy like a disc herniation over a couple of weeks, referred them out, and they ended up having a tumor that was wrapping around their spinal cord. So I think staying in your lane as a clinician there, like, of course, we think we can help everyone feel better. We, we can get everyone out of pain. But when people don't respond to interventions like you would typically expect, make sure you're finding them to you're, – you're sending them to the network of physicians that you, you have too um, to make sure they get the care that you need because you could be missing something because you don't have access to imaging or, or other techniques that um, physicians may have access to. I th also think off of that, like, uh, and this is something that who we commonly – collaborate with here is like throwing coaches you know hitting coaches um i know rob you collaborate with uh, a lot of uh, the coaches here as well because sometimes like when you're trying to go back to the origin of uh issue sometimes it can be something mechanically if you have like a highly repetitive athlete that's doing something over and over like hitting or throwing i mean if those me mechanics aren't clean or sound um you know eventually things are gonna gonna break down so and that's one of the big reasons why you guys have so many good outcomes here is I've heard patients say, like, this is why I enjoy coming here or enjoy getting better is because you guys have such a great relationship with other programs or being able to refer out. So that referral process always comes back full circle from what I've seen, which is great to see. And I think it makes you look better. Like, we, if you, we have a low plan of care, but half of that is because we have, a, we have great communication with coaches outside of our walls that make us look really good. Yeah, we can't do it without them. Exactly. And I think – that um, they're making us better, we're making them better, and then the patient just gets better overall and continues to do what they love to do because we're able to work together to modify a program to keep them working toward um, fitness or sports-specific goals. All right, guys, that about wraps it up for Training Room Talk today. Um, as always, if you like what we're putting out, please leave a five-star rating or comments um, under our, our page on our podcast. Um, please also, if you guys have any topics you want us to address, um, please email me at jherting at thetrainingroompt.com, and we'll make sure that we hit those topics for you. Um, until next time, guys, thanks. You know, people have their own opinions about, you know, posting about content on their social media, but I think, again, everyone here, we're taking content courses so we can better our, our people that we work with. You know, I think it's I think our patients, you know, hopefully respect that we're actually looking out for them um, to sharpen our skills so we can provide a better service. So, you know, again, think about Con Ed in, in, in that way as well. If it, if it does make you uncomfortable, think about you just trying to better yourself to, to better your patient. Yeah, I think I think Con Ed's about the patient. It's not about exactly. you as the clinician. Exactly. exactly. Yeah, like it doesn't it's not about bragging about what letters you have after your name. It's about, hey do you get good results are you doing the right thing are you being ethical are you getting are you a skilled clinician yeah absolutely yeah i think that's huge guys i mean this is all huge tips on like looking forward to like con ed stuff but with like the overwhelming sea of like content out there what do you guys think or like what in like your professional opinion is a good place from like a student perspective for me to begin or like any student out there where do you begin on like this con ed journey and in which direction do you go to help better yourself for the future or set yourself up for success 
I think before taking a course, I mean, with whatever you're interested in, there's a lot out there. And I think it's important that you're doing research before you go to courses. So you're, anytime you go to a course, that should not be your first exposure to the content. Most organizations, most, you know, either, even if it's an individual that's presenting, has content available for free that you should be researching and, um, and basically taking in to make the decision if you want to pursue a seminar or a Con Ed course with this person or organization. Um, I think, so coming, you're talking about it coming straight out of, like you graduate here in May, so you're talking about like how would you decide? You know, okay. I yeah, think like I'm coming out of school here in May. And I just gotta, I gotta decide. Like, yeah. what is the first step? Where do I start? Yep. So I think, I think it comes down to where, where do you want to be? What do you, who, what kind of clientele do you want to work with? Um, and then also, I think Rob spoke on this. John did a little bit self betterment, um, assessing your weaknesses and strengths, right? Because if you're gonna spend the time and money and energy in something, um, you might as well utilize it to your advantage and work on a weakness. I'm um, not saying, I mean, it's always good to strengthen your strengths or whatever, too. But, uh, so, yeah, I think it's going to vary on an individual basis, Alex. I think, first, though, I mean, assess your weaknesses. I mean, maybe maybe for you it's, you know, talking to us before you leave here. Like, hey, what do you guys think should work on? I'm sure we're going to go over all that stuff with you. Um, because, yeah, then, and then when you find out what kind of clientele you're working with, then, you know, okay, more strength and conditioning related stuff. Maybe you're going into geriatrics, so, like, CSCS isn't going to do much for you, you know, to a certain extent it won't. So does that make sense? Yeah. yeah. So I think when I first graduated school and even starting in school a little bit, I took every single course I had interest in so I could try to figure out where I wanted to go. Um, I don't recommend that for anyone because there's a lot of courses I just couldn't extrapolate the information because I didn't give myself time to um, figure it out. Um, I might even say at this point, go skills, like get a couple skills under your belt, whether it's manips or needling or, you know, other manual techniques, start to get those skills under your belt while you're reading and researching certain philosophies, um, whether it's PRI or FMS or um, FRC or any of that kind of stuff, like start to maybe just get some skills under your belt that you can continue to practice and apply quickly while you're reading and figuring out, hey, this philosophy is pretty cool. Maybe I'll take a course in this and then take a course in this philosophy as I gain some more skills. Um, and then you can kind of see where they all mesh and mold and, and build your own practice, right? Because that's the goal. Like all of us treat a little bit differently, but we have like similar philosophical backgrounds. Um, and then all of us have a little bit different manual skills that make us unique. Um, you know, so, so looking back, um, I, I definitely would not recommend taking every single thing to figure out where you want to go, um, but seek out the guidance of the clinicians. Um, and maybe, you know, very quickly, you can take a manual course and get a couple manips under your belt that you can practice on a daily basis as you continue to read and figure out what philosophy and theory based courses you might want to take. Awesome. I appreciate it. Yeah. Cool. So that about wraps it up for Training Room Talk today. Hopefully this helped you out on figuring out how to take a Con Ed course and how to figure out what you want to do. Um, as always, if you guys like what we're putting out, please rate us five stars and leave any comments. Um, please also feel free to leave topics that you want us to discuss. Um, email them to myself, John Herding, at 
J-H-E-R-T-I-N-G at thetrainingroompt.com, and we'll be sure to address those topics for you. Until next time, guys, thanks.